Coach Rocks. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Anna, for being willing to fill in there at very short notice. And uh, it was great, great. All right. Um, Brother uh, Nathan Schrock, if you'll come, we're going to turn the rest of the service over to you. I do have a, a phone up here. We have a, we have a Zoom phone up later. Just because I'm pulling the chair, not get that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. Thank you. Great to All right. Good morning. All right, we met some of you already in Sunday school, and uh, as Pastor mentioned, we showed our uh, video in Sunday school and talked about our ministry, and uh, I wanted to mention, for those of you that, that weren't here for that or, or um, would like to maybe like see again, um, on our prayer card, if you get one of those at the back, it has our website address on, on, the, or, on, the, on the back side of it, it has the, our website, and if you go to there... Um, there's several pages there. There's a page where you can sign up to receive our email updates. If you don't feel like writing your email address on the sheet back there, um, you can do that on our website. But there's also a link on our website where you can watch our video. And uh, the same video that we showed this morning, you can go online and you can watch it. Uh, if you'd like to do that and learn more about um, our ministry and, and what God is doing in West Africa. And uh, my wife, Hannah... It, she grew up there in West Africa as a missionary kid and uh, came to the States and, and uh, to go to college. I grew up out in the Midwest, in Missouri, not anywhere close to West Africa. And uh, we, we um, the Lord led us to, together when we were at Bible College. We led us to the same college. And uh, so we got, we got married there after I graduated. And uh, so the Lord, during the time that I was getting to know her, um, the Lord allowed for me to be able to take a trip over to visit her family because they were living in, in the Ivory Coast. And at that time, God began to work on, on my heart and to draw me toward uh, West Africa. And um, it's a, that's a long story. I won't get into that. Not, uh, not my message this morning, but um, God has just led us one step after another. After we were married, uh, we decided to go over there for about a year or 11 months we ended up being there. Um, to, to work uh, with my wife's family and just as a kind of a survey and to uh, figure things out, get some experience in the meantime. And the Lord really blessed that time. We got back in October of last year, um, a little maybe seven months ago or whatever. And, and uh, so now we're excited. We're, we're, on, we're doing full-time deputation to get back there. So we haven't been on that long. We're, I was telling in Sunday school this morning, I think we're around... Um, 16% are in that vicinity of our support. So um, churches starting to have missionaries back in and things like that. So so it's exciting. It's an exciting time uh, to see uh, doors opening back up and and uh, we're excited to see what God does moving forward. So if you turn your Bibles to um, the Book of Romans. Of course, we'll be around all day. We'll be here tonight, and uh, so we'd love to, uh, if you have any questions for us, or, or just like to, uh, if you have an opportunity, we'd love to tell you more about our, our ministry and, and um, you know, answer any questions that we can. We'd love to talk with you, each and every one of you, more, and uh If I can get to Romans myself here. I think that's the four first Corinthians, right? Okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Romans chapter 11. 
many times I think when we look at uh, the writings of Paul, which Romans is, one of the things that Paul wrote in the Bible, um, I think we're guilty many times of taking one verse or one passage and uh, kind of pulling it out and making it, or using it to say something that maybe it is what, what um, maybe it, it's not necessarily wrong or not necessarily uh, a bad interpretation of the passage, but we, by pulling it out and not reading the full context and everything that's going on, we kind of miss something. And uh, we, because the Apostle Paul, as he writes, uh, many times he has a thought process that goes on for, for verse after verse, many times chapter after chapter, and he just continues. Um, and so this morning I'd like to look at a passage that's probably a little bit familiar to you, um, but one that I think will be a blessing to look at in a little bit different light, in, in the light of its context, and see what the Apostle Paul is saying. And uh, we're going to begin in Romans 11, and uh, verse number 33. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Let's begin in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to stand here and to speak. Thank you for the opportunity to be here together to study your word. I pray that you would speak through me and that my words would be the words that you want us to, to hear this morning. And most importantly, that your words would, would speak, speak in our hearts and our souls and that we would draw closer to you this morning uh, because of it. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, as the Apostle Paul begins his statement here in verse number 33, he says, he makes a declaration. He says, oh, it's a, an, an expression of astonishment or a, of surprise or a, of a, it's, it's like when you're looking at something and, and uh, you're just amazed by it, right? He says, oh, and what's he, ta- what's he talking about? He's talking about the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I think, first of all, this morning, we have to understand what Paul means when he talks about these things. Uh, knowledge, you know, the, when we talk about the knowledge of God, that's a pretty simple concept, right? Uh, knowledge is, well, what's the root word of knowledge? Someone tell me. What's the, how, what, what, when we look at the word knowledge, what's the, what's the root of the word, right? No. The know. Okay, thank you. Um, it, it's the word know. Knowledge is what you know, okay? And it, that's really what it, it boils down to. It's not, not too complicated, but uh, when we talk about God and what God knows, that's a, that's a huge subject, right? Um, and, and God, being the creator, and we're going to get into this a little bit more later, but because of his position and, and his, his uh, just who he is, his knowledge encompasses everything. There's nothing that is outside his knowledge. Now, wisdom is, a, is slightly more complicated. Wisdom has to do more with how we use our knowledge or how we make decisions and choices. And, uh, you know, maybe you've, you've heard, the, the, heard the, the old adage that uh, knowledge is knowing that, uh, of course I'm going to get it wrong now, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a, a fruit or something like that. And uh, 
Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Is that how it goes? Um, anyway, that kind of gives you an idea. Knowledge is knowing what a Snickers bar tastes like and knowing what a Butterfinger bar tastes like. But wisdom tells you when you go to the vending machine, you get a Butterfinger, right? So that can, the wisdom is how you use your knowledge and, and the choices that you make. How do you put that into practice? And what we do, we do what we do because of our wisdom, based on our wisdom. And uh, God, I believe God does what he does. And, and God, uh, I would say that his wisdom is what determines why, why, what God does and why God does what he does. Uh, if that makes sense. But God's wisdom and his knowledge, it, that, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he, when he makes this statement, Oh, the depth. How many of you have ever been to the, uh, to the Grand Canyon? Anyone? Okay, a couple. Uh, I had the opportunity a number of years ago, um, I was traveling out west with a, a tour group from college, and, and uh, it was a great experience, but one of the things that we got to do, uh, we got to go to the Grand Canyon, and uh, we just passed by, uh, we didn't spend a lot of time there, and, and that wasn't our main point of being out west, but uh, we got to stand there on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And I tell you what, it's one of those things that you know what it looks like. Uh, you know, all of you that haven't been there, you know what it looks like because you've seen pictures. But you don't know what it feels like to stand there and to look across and to see how big it is. And it's, it's interesting because um, the the Grand Canyon, from the top of it to the to the you know to, from the the top of the rim to the lowest point, uh, I think it's like it's over six thousand feet. You know, like well over a mile straight down into the ground. It's just immensely huge, and uh, it's it's um it as you stand there and you look at it, it kind of messes with you because your eyes you want to look across and think. Uh, you want to judge the distance. But as you look across, you're thinking, that could be like two miles away, or that could be 10 or 12 miles away. And I really can't tell because it's so far and it's so huge. And uh, your eyes can't judge that distance. You were, look, you were used to looking across the parking lot. and you know That's about, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know how long the parking lot is. I'm not going to embarrass myself. But uh, yeah, you look across, that's about 50 yards or whatever. Um, and... Okay, yeah, close enough. And so we're used to judging distances like that. But when you stand there and you look across and you look down and you see it's the little river at the bottom of the canyon, you don't know if that's like a tiny little stream or if it's a it's like the Mississippi River roaring through there. You don't know. And so your eyes is too far away and it's too big to judge that distance. Am I making sense this morning? Yeah. So it, that's the I believe that's kind of the idea of that the Apostle Paul has in his mind as he looks at the character of God and the, the, the wisdom and knowledge of God and he says, oh, the depth. He looks at it and he says, it's too big for me to judge the distance. I can't look at it and say, you know what, I think God's wisdom is about, it's about that big. It's not possible. It's totally beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our human understanding to look at it and say, I think it's, uh, I can see the other side of it. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because God's wisdom and knowledge are totally beyond our comprehension. It's so immensely huge that you can't understand the depth of it. We look down, uh, if we were to stand on, 
and you understand I'm, I'm using this as an illustration, metaphorically speaking, to stand at the brink of the, of the wisdom and knowledge of God and look into it. We can't look. It, it's like looking down in, into the Grand Canyon and seeing that river at the bottom. You, you can't tell how far away the other side of it is because God's wisdom and knowledge are so immensely huge. But as we move on into verse number 34, he says, Who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Uh, this is, uh, it's interesting, you know, when you're in a position of giving someone counsel. I think, uh, well, I, probably, Pastor, you've been in the, probably been in the position many times of counseling someone, or giving counsel, and what's the idea? Someone comes to you, normally, uh, probably, and, and they, they come to you saying, I need some advice, or I need some help, I need, I've got this situation, I've got this, this problem, and I need your advice, I need your help. And so you're put in that position of giving, giving some counsel. Well, Paul, as he's asking, really, it's a rhetorical question that he's asking. The rhetorical question is kind of a big word that means it's a question that's asked not to get an answer, but to make a point. Okay, and so the answer is already understood. What's the understood answer when the Apostle Paul asks, Who comes to God and gives God counsel? And gives God advice. You know, it, it, that's a silly picture, right? Of someone sitting God down saying, Lord, this is what I think should happen here. This is what I think we need to do. And, uh, you know, here's, here's, what, here's what I think. The understood answer is no one can do that, right? Who has known the mind of the Lord? We cannot. Uh, our, our minds are so small in comparison to this immense wisdom and knowledge of God that we're talking about, that this is, this is a, it's a, it's a silly question that the Apostle Paul makes, uh, or he asks, to get the point across. No one gives God this kind of counsel. No one, no one is God's counselor. No one is smarter than God, is really the point that he's making here. And uh, God is the final authority, and no one tells him what to do. Paul is, he, he's not saying that we cannot know God and, and comprehend in some ways the nature of God as we draw closer to Him and uh, we become like Him. But he's making the point here that God's thoughts are always deeper and will always be deeper and wiser than our thoughts. God's ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In verse number 35, as we move along here, you notice I'm not giving you specific numbered points. I'm trying to explain the passage to you, okay? And so I hope that you're getting a picture of what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He says, Or who hath first given to him, that is to God, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. Who hath first given to him, uh, the idea is someone giving something to God, and it will be recompensed unto him again, or paid back. Or, or the, the word is like reimbursed, okay? Uh, so who gives something to God and God, God pays him back, uh, or pays off that debt and reimburses uh, that person? It's kind of an interesting question um, because have, have you ever been in a situation where you, uh, you know, someone gave you something, a gift or a, a present for your birthday or whatever, and then you expected, or, or you found out that they expected something in return? Uh, that's, it's not a good feeling, right? <laughs> or not a good, not a good uh, situation to be in. Uh, but when I was a kid, 
I was really bad at this, and I'm going to tell myself a little bit. And uh, there aren't any kids in here to listen and get, get ideas from me, so that's great. Um, when I was a kid, I would go to a friend's birthday party, and uh, you know, we would I would bring a gift that, of course, my parents had bought the gift um, and for me to bring to my to my friend's birthday party. And uh, whether it was, I don't know, some kind of ball or a, a dart gun or a, a super soaker, I don't know. Um, it, I would bring that gift to my friend. And after everything was said and done, you know, after we ate the cake and ice cream and, or pizza or whatever we had, and uh, they opened all their gifts and everything, and uh, I would come to my friend and I would say, hey, hey, uh, can I play with that? Because after all, I gave it to you. Right? Uh, I mean, I gave it to you. Can I, can I play with it now? And uh, don't, don't do that. Okay. Um, but that's the idea of giving something and expecting a favor or expecting something in return. And the Apostle Paul, when he asks this question, it, it's very interesting to me because he asks, who gives something to God and God essentially owes him something in return? You might get away with that when you give something to your friend, but... Uh, you, you won't get away with that when you, when you give something to God. Because I think the principle here, I think the principle is found in, in the fact that the borrower is servant to the lender. You know, if, if, I was, if I were to borrow money from someone here today, uh, you know, if I had some kind of need, uh, you know, huge need that I needed to borrow money for, and, uh, you know, I borrow a large sum of money from you, uh, I would be indebted to you in a way that, in a way, we could say that I'm your servant. And you have a handle on me uh, so that I have to, I, I'm indebted to you in that way. I'm a servant. That's the idea of a borrower being servant to the lender. And until that debt is paid back, the lender has a handle on, that, on the borrower. Well, no one has a handle on God like that. No one can, can control God in a way and say, you owe me, so, so here's what you have to do. Or, or you know, I have a, some kind of control over you because, uh, because I own a part of you. No one, no one is in that position. God is not in that position of being a servant to the lender. And Paul's point here is that you don't give something to God and then expect something back from him. No one can put God in that position because God is, the, is, the, is supreme. He can never be put in that position. So as we move on to verse number 36, and, and don't worry, we're going to sum things up here. And, and I, We're moving quickly, but we're going to sum things up, and you're going to see the big picture here in a little while. Verse number 36, he says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. The Apostle Paul uses three prepositions here, of him and through him and to him. And it's quite interesting because the word of him, it has the idea of coming from him or, or perceiving that all things, the all things that he's talking about, uh, come out of God. I believe he's referring simply to the fact that God is the source of everything. Uh, God we don't have to. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on this point this morning, uh, because God is the one that created us. He's the one that that brought us into existence. Not just brought us into existence, but brought the world and the entire universe that we live in into existence. And so that that is the basis, I believe, of His position 
as the as the supreme being is the fact that everything is created by him and so it is subject to him and uh we won't we won't belabor that point this morning but uh as we as he says god or for of him are all things that's the idea that all things come from god but he says and through him are all are all things excuse me through him has the idea that uh, everything that that he and I want to turn over to um, oh I didn't write down the passage now um, I believe it's Colossians chapter one yes Colossians chapter one and uh, this is a parallel passage that kind of says a similar thing in, in a little bit different wording I think it would be helpful for us to see this morning Colossians chapter one if you turn over there with me and uh, read what. Again, the Apostle Paul says in a different context, he says, he's talking about Jesus Christ in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And look at verse number 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. When he says by him all things consist, has the idea that with his power, it's his hands that holds it all together. You know, we live in a day and time where uh, we're, we're we're seeing everything come apart, Right? But yet we know that ultimately it's God that's holding everything together. And, it, and the existence of our existence, and it cannot come apart without God's permission because he's the one that holds everything together. And that's the idea that I believe is conveyed here when he says, of him, but through him are all things. God is the one that, that's holding it all together and and uh, it, it exists through him and his power. Then he says, and to him are all things. To him are all things. You know, when we look at the scriptures, it, it's neat to see throughout the, throughout the scripture, every part in every book, every chapter of the Bible ultimately points to Christ. So when we look at the creation all around us, the, the, the work that God created, the universe that he made, it points to the, the creator. It points to Christ. <coughs> it has as its ultimate goal and its ultimate fulfillment and its ultimate uh, glory it is the glorification of, of the creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that God created, the, the, the entire creation, it points to Him. And, uh, and so when we take everything comes from God, it exists through the power of God, and it has as its ultimate goal the glorification of God. He says, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now, what, what have we seen so far? Let's, let's sum up these verses that we've seen so far. Before we go any further, he said, God has immense wisdom and knowledge. The depth of it is beyond our understanding. His mind is beyond 
our minds. And then he said, no one can, can give God counsel. No one gives God advice. Because no one can be in that position. And then he said that no one, uh, or God is not indebted to anyone. He is not a borrower who is put in the position of a, being a servant to a lender. And then he said, all things were created by him, by his power, exist because of his power and through his power, and everything, the, the entire creation is designed ultimately to bring glory to him. Now, with that, that whole thought process rolling, and those and Paul thinking about the supremacy of God and the, the, the immensity of God's wisdom and knowledge and who God is, he rolls right on through into chapter 12. And there's no chapter break in the original uh, when Paul wrote it. It was just one big letter. And so, as he, he just rolls right on through into the next thought, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Let's stop right there, because I want, to, I want to talk about these words. He says, I beseech you. That this word, it can be, uh, can be translated, it's translated in other places as uh, implore or ask. To even, to request or, or even beg. It's a sincere request. Something that's very important. And he's making a, a request that is extremely important. He's saying, I beseech you. He says, I beseech you, therefore. And the word therefore is, is, is equally important, I believe, because it ties everything together. The, the word therefore is it's kind of a, uh, it's actually an expression of logic. Uh, when I was in college, um, we had the opportunity, or actually we were required to take a class in logic, a, a class on logical reasoning. And it was, it was interesting, um, because one of the things that we learned was that you can take two statements that you know are true, and you can put those two statements together, um, if they're constructed properly, and, and you can say, therefore, this third statement is true. Now, let me give you an example. Um, we, one of the classic examples that, that I think we used in class was um, we would make a statement like, um, uh, all cows have four legs. Okay? Now, that's a pretty general statement. It's generally true, right? Most cows, we could generally say all cows have four legs. Uh, secondly, we could say that uh, Betsy is a cow. Okay? Now, that's a true statement. Now, thirdly, we could say, therefore, what? Betsy has four legs, okay? See, does that make sense? The therefore is a logical conclusion. And I submit to you that as the, as the Apostle Paul is writing, and as he's moving on in his thought process, he uses the word therefore to draw a logical conclusion. As he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, based on what I've already said, based on what we've been talking about, he says, I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now let's back up and, and get the big picture here of what Paul's saying. He says, based on all these things that we've been talking about, the character of God, his, his wisdom and his knowledge are beyond our understanding. That's who God is. 
He says, therefore, I beg you, I beseech you, present your bodies a living sacrifice to me. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. As we think about a sacrifice, uh, it could be any number of mental images that come to your mind, but uh, I looked it up in a dictionary um, a while back. It was kind of interesting. I want to see what the actual definition of a sacrifice is. And, and there's one dictionary that I forget which one exactly that gave this definition. I, I think it's a pretty good definition. It says, it's an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. Uh, let me back up and, and read that again. Make sure you got it. It's an act of giving up something valued. It's me letting go of something or giving up something that is valuable to me for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. And in the case of us as Christians presenting our bodies a living sacrifice to God, the thing that's regarded as more important or worthy is Christ himself. He is regarded as more important or worthy than, than that, the thing that we value, which is ourselves. So Paul is talking about us giving up ourselves to Christ and, and offering ourselves um, and, and in, as a living sacrifice to Him. It's a sacrifice that's voluntary. Uh, it's obvious from the word present. He says yeah, you present yourself. It's not something that you're forced to do. Uh, it's something that you, you, you make the choice to lay yourself down on that altar uh, of sacrifice and to give yourself to Him and to say, here I am. Here's the sacrifice. It's something that you present to Him. Let's quickly look at the remainder of this verse, and we'll finish up here. He says, this sacrifice, he, he gives some qualifiers here. He says, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Holy and acceptable unto God. I believe that as we talk about God, and we've talked a lot already this morning about the character of God and who God is, there's nothing that defines God, and I, I want to be careful here because this is a broad statement, uh, but I believe that there's nothing that defines God more than His holiness. Above all, yes, God is God is omnipresent, He's, he's omniscient because of who He is, and we can list out all those attributes of God, but ultimately God is Holy. The word holy means uh, to be set apart or to be separated from what is unholy. And no one is set apart more and no one is separated more from unholiness than God himself. He is completely separate from, from unholiness and from, from wickedness and, and from sin. That's the idea of holiness. And, and the Apostle Paul says that we... As we give ourselves as a sacrifice to God, we give our, our bodies, our lives to Him, it has to be something that is set apart. It's the idea that we are setting ourselves apart from unholiness and saying, Lord, I'm going to be a holy sacrifice. And it's the idea of dedication. It's, it's not mixed. It's not, it's not um, 
contaminated with with the unholy uh, unholiness, it's set apart to be a holy sacrifice. I get the idea here that we are to set ourselves apart and yield ourselves totally and completely to being the kind of sacrifice that God wants us to be. So this sacrifice uh, that the Apostle Paul is talking about, it's a sacrifice, that, it's a holy sacrifice. As we present ourselves to Christ, we must be setting ourselves apart from the world. But there's one more thing that the Apostle Paul says here, almost kind of tacks it on as an, almost kind of an afterthought uh, in my mind here. At the end of this verse, he says, which is your reasonable service. Which is your reasonable service. In, re- in reference to everything, in regard to everything that he has just said, uh, talking about us giving ourselves as a sacrifice to Christ, us laying ourselves down on the altar and, and saying, Lord, here am I. Uh, you know, I, I want to give everything to you. He says it's your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. Uh, what's he talking about? Your reasonable service. One of the things that's interesting for us going into another culture, going into West Africa, you probably saw this. Uh, I don't know how much you dealt with it in Liberia. But, um, you know, the prices of things are different. And uh, we can get very easily, we can be taken advantage of over there because... If you don't know the price of something, uh, usually you're expected to kind of haggle and you know give an offer and and counter offer if you're buying something uh, or most things um, and and you negotiate a price and it's not something that we're used to doing as much here in the states. Um, you know you go to the store and if you want to buy a you know whatever it is uh, you you you're the price is marked and that's what you pay right. Well over there. Uh, we've heard, we've been told by um, some native folks over there, um, or, or my, I think someone told my, someone, one of my wife's family this. They said that whenever a uh, white man, or, or whenever a, you know just a regular African man comes in the store, we give him the, the the base price, you know the regular price. If a well dressed African man that looks like he has money comes into the store, we double the price. And if a white man comes into the store, we triple the price. And uh, that's just kind of across the board, that's how it works. And so when we go to buy most things, uh, you know, we just kind of assume we're get the, the, the first uh, price that they give is going to be at least double, if not three times, what the actual price should be. And so you just kind of barter with that in mind. And uh, we call it the, the prix de blanc, which is the, price, the white price. Um, so anyway, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny. It's unreasonable is the point that I'm getting to. The price that they give is unreasonable. You know, you've probably seen things that you looked at it and you said, that's an unreasonable price. Um, recently, my wife and I were in a, oh, this was a couple years ago. We were in a, in a mall and we were walking around. This was in the States. We were walking around and I, I walked into a, uh, we were just waiting for someone, and we were just kind of killing time. And we walked into a mall, in, into a store that was like a uh, kind of a home furnishing store. And uh, they had, I think, some, maybe some light fixtures and tables and chairs and things like that. And uh, I kind of could tell that it was a little bit of an uppity store, but I didn't know 
you know, I didn't really have any reference point. And so I was walking around, and I saw a nice chair that looked like, uh, you know, it's just a nice leather chair. It, didn't, it wasn't like a big lazy boy recliner type of thing. Um, and it, it was just a basic leather chair. I don't think it reclined at all, maybe. Um, and so I, I was just curious, you know, how much would this chair cost? And so I bent down and looked at the price tag, and uh, man, I was, <laughs> it said, this is what it said, no joke, it said $24.99. Now, not $24.99. This was a $2,500 chair. And, uh, you know, I don't know, some of you looking at me like, yeah, I have one of those at my house. <laughs> if you do, I'd like to come over and try sitting in it afterwards. Um, but no, that to me is mind-blowing, right? Why would you, why, who would spend that much money on a chair, right? Uh, even, it, at least it needs to recline if I'm going to spend $2,500 on a chair, right? No, that, that's just, it's crazy. It's unreasonable. It's beyond reason. But when the Apostle Paul talks about us, as, as we come to Christ and we, we lay down our lives, our souls, on the altar as, as a living sacrifice, it says it's reasonable. You know what that says to me? It just makes sense. It just makes sense. It's just the idea of being reasonable. It's not something that's, that's a you know, crazy idea. It's out there, you know, a far-fetched nutty idea. And he says, it, it just makes sense that you would do this. So let's sum it up and, and tie everything together. Why does it make sense for us to give ourselves to Christ and to serve Him with our lives? Let's tie it all together. The Apostle Paul told us that the wisdom and knowledge of God are immensely deep. They're beyond our understanding. His mind is, is so immense and so, so far beyond ours that we cannot understand his thoughts and, and we cannot uh, give him counsel because his ways are always higher and better than our ways. He said that, that God is not, uh, he's not in the position of being a servant or a, 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 in a position of, of yielding himself to anyone. Because no one tells him what to do. He said that, that God, is, he created everything. He holds everything together. And the entire creation is designed to bring glory to him. And then he said, because of that, because of who God is, I beg you, therefore you need to offer yourself as a sacrifice to him. And then on the end he said, by the way... It just makes sense. I'm not asking you something that's unreasonable. I'm not asking you something that, that, that's a ridiculous idea that's going to ruin your life. No, he says, I'm asking you something that is a reasonable, logical request. It just makes sense. It's reasonable because why wouldn't we want to serve God? Why wouldn't we want to give our lives to Him? He's the one who, He has the immense wisdom and knowledge that, that is so far beyond us. Why, why wouldn't we want to serve Him? You know, as, as we, I think about uh, ourselves, as, as we decide to, to go on, you know, on a life on the road with deputation, and then ultimately the goal is to go overseas and live in a, in a 
another country. And don't get me wrong, we love it there. And uh, it's, a, it's a great place. I, I, I enjoy living there. I have enjoyed the time that I lived there. But we go without some things. And, and we give up some things in order to do that. And I'm here to tell you that it's, it just makes sense. That's right. Because we serve a God who, who, who is, is so far beyond our understanding and so far beyond our comprehension that the only thing that we can do is to, to, to lay ourselves down and say, here, Lord, whatever you tell us to do, we'll do it. It's reasonable because he's the creator. It's reasonable because he knows everything. It's reasonable because he's full of mercy and we have no reason to ever expect he will lead us on any path other than the best one. But I leave you with this this morning. It just makes sense. You know, the Apostle Paul is... I love the fact that he didn't just tell us, you, you need to serve God just because it's, the, it's just what you need to do. It's the right thing. You know, it's, you know don't ask any questions. Don't, don't, uh, don't try to be logical here. Just do it. That's not what he said. He said, you know what? Here's a logical case. Because of who God is, just makes sense that you would serve Him. I don't know. I, I can't make all of the specific applications this morning. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor here in a minute. But I want you to, to think about the, what, we've, what we've studied this morning and to think there may be some area of your life where you say, I need to yield this thing to Christ. I need to yield this, whatever it is, this situation, this uh, interaction with this person, I need to be yielded to Christ. I need to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to Him. And my message to you this morning is, is, sim- is very simply, because of who God is, it just makes sense to be yielded to Him. It just makes sense. It's logical. I hope that we can be logical people this morning. And, and to see that the only logical thing for us to do is to be yielded servants to Christ. Let's have a word of prayer and then pastor. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity speaking this morning. I, I hope that these words have made sense as, as I've spoken and I believe you, your Holy Spirit has spoken. I pray that you help each one of us to examine our hearts and to see what it is that you would have us to change or how we need to grow how we need to yield to you more and to lay ourselves down as a sacrifice in light of your character and who you are. And I thank you, Lord, that it just makes sense. I thank you that, that we have the opportunity to serve the God who created the universe. And there's nothing, there's nothing more sensible that we could do than to serve you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much. Great, great reminder. Seems like that uh, lately, that verse in Romans has come up around here quite a bit. Great, and reasonable. I think reasonable. Of all the words in that verse, I just think that word reasonable is, is maybe the greatest. It just makes sense to serve God. Um, let's take a hymn book. I do have a, a hymn picked out, number 419. This is mainly directed to pray at the goal as the Lord directs. But as our brother mentioned at the end there, 
If there's areas of our lives we have something that needs to be specifically surrendered to the Lord. Um, I remember back in Bible school we were all we were encouraged all the time. You know, God doesn't call everybody to be a missionary, but God calls everyone to be willing to go wherever He would have us to go. And it's so ironic that I didn't end up in Africa because I told the Lord back in Bible school I wouldn't go anywhere except Africa. Please don't send me to Africa. I don't know why Africa has such a bad uh, <laughs> connotation. It's a great place, as you said. Um, anyway. So let's stand, shall we? Uh, 419, we call the reapers. We even mentioned that scripture last Sunday morning about where Jesus said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So we have a precious young family here today. They're, they're one of the ones that God is sending. And I always like to mention that for years we have had in our prayer, Wednesday night prayer sheet, God to continue to raise up a new generation of faithful men. And it just seems that the Lord has, he's answering that prayer, he's letting us see some of those answers. God has brought our way several young servants of the Lord over the years, and, and so we want to pray for Brother Nathan and his family, that, they'll, that they will be, that he will be one of those new generation of faithful men. Praise the Lord for that. So if we could be of help to anybody today, we'd love to do that. Let's go ahead and we'll sing all three verses of um, the call for Reapers. Far and near the fields are teeming with the ways of
reminder in today of, first of all, how great thou art, dear Lord, by wisdom, by knowledge, and thankful for that, and that you, Lord, have just put that great wisdom and knowledge into the scriptures, thankful that you have sent Christ to be our Savior, his precious blood that he shed. And Father, it would be a prayer today after anyone here that's never trusted him, they would do so this day. Help us all, dear Father, to dedicate, present our bodies, our lives as a sacrifice, living sacrifice unto thee. And Father, we pray, especially for Brother Nathan and his family, continue to lead them, send them on their way, Father, help them to get to that field over there on the Ivory Coast and use them and protect them as they travel, Lord, open the hearts and yes, the, the purses of churches, Lord, to take them on, both for prayer and financial support. Please watch over us now throughout this day. I do pray for the service this afternoon for Sam and Smith, dear Lord. I ask you for special help presenting me, uh, presiding over that and giving by word. And then for the service tonight, Lord, bless us, help us. And we just ask that you might do great things. And Father, all for your honor and glory. And we pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. 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 Yeah, I did. I just think it last week.